Good morning. Those last two lines we sang are just perfect for uh, what we're going to be considering this morning as we look at Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, as we continue our series in my favorite Proverbs. Actually, all the Proverbs are a favorite. As a, as a new kid on the block in Christ, when I... Uh, received Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I began going to, to a church after about a month of uh, hanging out on my own and realizing I couldn't cut it on my own. And uh, I got involved in the church in the park, and I think I've said this once or twice over the years, but uh, we used to, after the worship service, sit around and visit, and uh, we'd read in our Bibles on the grass in the park, and we'd read the book of Proverbs. And that began uh, a lifelong love of the book of Proverbs. Uh, when I was teaching, I developed a course on Proverbs and wisdom literature. And that was a study of all the wisdom literature of uh, the Israelites in our Old Testament. And so when I talk about the Proverbs and uh, nary a one, is not a favorite, so I do enjoy them all. This morning, as I said, we're going to look at Proverbs 4.23. I'd like to read it. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it, from it flow the springs of life. Keep and guard, guard and keep are very common synonyms in both Hebrew and Greek for watching over, carefully observing, protecting, keeping, observing, obeying. Here, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. We're told the heart is vital. In fact, uh, just to give you a taste of some of the translations of the second line, because that explains why it's so important to guard the heart. Uh, we're told, for example, from the New English uh, uh, Testament, uh, the English Standard Version, the New American Standard, because from the heart are the sources or springs of life. Uh, the New International Version says, everything you do flows from the heart. Uh, the common Jewish Bible says, the heart is the source of life's consequences. Yeah, that's, that's good too. And then the heart, this is from the message, the heart is where life starts. So what exactly are we guarding? I think that's important. If you're going to guard your heart, what exactly are we guarding? Well, if we're talking about physical health, guarding the heart concerns how we eat and exercise to prevent a heart attack. So you want to guard your heart against a heart attack. A doctor might say, and in fact, I got these top five things to do to guard your heart online. 
Number one, get moving. You know, your heart is a muscle, so you need to exercise it. So get active and get moving, number one. Number two, quit smoking. Number three, lose weight. Number four, eat right. So watch your diet. And number five, don't stress so much. That's how we guard our heart. But if that's the heart that we guard, all life, the springs and sources of life do not flow from that heart. What if we're talking not about physical health, but we're talking about emotional health? Guarding our heart concerns how we think and feel. And so, to prevent heartbreak, a friend might say, you know, you wouldn't suffer so much pain if you picked better friends. So that would be one thing a friend might advise to guard our, ho- our heart when it comes to our emotional health. A two, uh, a friend might say, don't give out the keys of your heart to anybody. Or don't be, you know, indiscriminate. Don't be too easy about giving away the keys of your heart. And a friend might also add, build a wall of protection about your heart. That's how you guard your heart. Surround your heart with a moat and walls and barbed wire, and don't let anybody affect your heart, hurt your heart, protect it, guard it, wall it off. But that's not what's being said here, because if that's the way we protect our heart, then all All of life is not going to flow from a prison or from jail. In the Old Testament, the word heart in Proverbs chapter 4.23 and across the pages of the Old Testament, the word heart is the Hebrew word lev. Lev. According to the work of Hans Walter Wolf, lev is the most important word of all the words that the Old Testament uses to describe you and me, to describe people, to describe the human being. It occurs 858 times in our Old Testament. 814 of those 858 times are used of you and me, of people. If we ask what does the heart do, one of the fundamental things about the heart is that it is hidden and inaccessible. The word lave stands for that which can't be easily penetrated or understood. And so those other uses of the heart which don't refer to people speak of the heart of God or the heart of the sea or the heart of heaven, let alone uh, the heart of the depths. But only God truly knows the heart. If we ask what the heart does, 
the uses of the Hebrew word lev reveal that the essential activities of the heart are mental and spiritual, or what we would call mental and spiritual. Wolf breaks these uses into categories. Four of them are feelings. In other words, the heart identifies, is associated with, is the source of our feelings, our wishes, our reasoning, and our decisions. Lave, or heart, occurs most in the book of Proverbs, in wisdom literature, because wisdom is about making right decisions and choices and navigating life. The heart is the headquarters of our thought life, to put it simply. No wonder it's the source of our life because our thoughts motivate and mold us. Your thoughts motivate and mold you. Your life is a series of choices and decisions. Those choices and decisions come at the end of your thought. They all come from your heart. Our thoughts, our lave, controls everything we do and everything we are. Reflect upon that this week. Don't just let that thought go. It deserves reflection. Everything you do and everything you are, everything I do and everything I am is controlled by my heart, my thoughts, my feelings, wishes, reasoning, my decisions. Be very careful about what you think. Our thoughts run our lives. Get wisdom. That's our big idea here. Get wisdom. That's the theme of Proverbs. Get wisdom. And the Proverbs themselves guide us in the pursuit of wisdom. Get wisdom. Guard your heart. If you tell me what you think, I can tell you a lot about who you are and the life you live. What you think, as I said, is what you are. And the King James Version of Proverbs 23.7 says, as a person thinks in his heart, or literally uh, the King James, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. It said, so a thought... Reap a deed. Sow a deed. Reap a habit. Sow a habit. Reap a character. Sow a character. Reap a destiny. With that much at stake, our deeds, our habits, our character, 
our destiny. No wonder we're urged to guard our hearts with all vigilance. In other words, and vigilance may not be a word that we use often, but it has to, be, has to do with being on the alert, being aware. Sometimes we're not even aware of our thoughts. If we're to guard our thoughts, our heart, we have to be aware of what we're thinking and its importance and its power and its decision-making agency in the course of our lives. And then being aware isn't really enough. We have to have some skill in managing our thoughts, some skills of vigilance. The heart is where our feelings, wishes, reasoning, and decisions are formed. Therefore, it's important for us to be vigilant, or let me put it this way, to monitor what we think and to edit what we think. What we think is sometimes fed to us, if not a lot, (laughs) because there are so many voices gaining our attention And just because it's a friend doesn't make it a safe and trustworthy thought. We need to monitor and we need to edit our thoughts. But how? Well, to correct and change our thoughts, we need a model. We need a standard. We need a ruler by which to gauge our thinking. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, the renewing of your heart, in order to prove that is to be able to demonstrate God's will. So God's will in Romans chapter 12 verse 2 becomes a standard. A standard sets a level of quality or an attainment in our lives. Something that we compare our performance to and also compare our thoughts to to evaluate them, to to edit them. Skills of vigilance, monitoring and editing our thoughts will serve no standard higher than yourself. Unless you find a higher standard than yourself to regulate your thoughts. When I look back over my life this uh, 
this week reflecting on guarding our hearts, guarding our thoughts. I realized a big chunk, the early part of my life, I had a covenant, I had a contract, I had an agreement with nobody but myself. In other words, I was just entered into a covenant (laughs) with uh, me to do what's best for me, to do what I want, to serve my needs, to accomplish my, my goals. Everything that I thought was right was front and center and most important. And that's the way it would have continued if I hadn't driven my whole life into the ground. Some of you may remember what that's like when you're just, you know, consumed with yourself. You'll use other people. You have no compunction about being dishonest. Your goals are self-serving. You know, I want to be rich. I want to be famous. Wish I was prettier. All those kinds of things that are shoveled at us each and every day. In music, in the media, across the, across the board. The bottom line is me, 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 me. But when me didn't get me where I wanted to be, and I realized I was shipwrecking my own life, I gave up. I turned my life over to the Lord. He was the only one that really convinced me that he loved me selflessly, that I could count on him because he professed to lay down his life so that I could know life that I hadn't yet begun to live. That was the second great covenant in my life, the second great agreement or contract in my life. That became the standard that started to influence my life, set the level of quality and attainment in my life. You know, goals that weren't determined by my selfishness, but by somebody of supreme love and loyalty. And then, because of the Lord and that covenant, I entered into another covenant with my wife, Shelley. And that has been a profound influence on my life. Another person who loves the Lord and influences me accordingly, holds me accountable. She sets the standard in many ways. But also, That relationship, that covenant, that agreement, that bond is something that I can't abandon. And every time I get selfish, I bump bump my nose on it and it hurts. But it, it helps me monitor, it helps me edit, it helps me correct my thoughts. Because those things are immovable. They're indispensable. I can't throw them away at will. They belong as a vital, substantial, steady part of my life. You need those kinds of agreements in your life if you're to monitor and edit your thoughts. In other words, that's how you guard your heart. You put your heart into the hands of the Lord and someone you can truly trust that will not leave you 
but will abide with you. The church is to be that sort of thing in our lives. Some of us haven't discovered that yet. It's a vital extension of the Lord. And it'll be a bulwark to any good relationship that you have. And it will help you guard your heart. But fundamentally, you have to put your heart into the hands of the Lord. How do we do that? Well, Timothy Keller said something, and I've changed the words just a little bit, but his thought got me to thinking, and this is what I want to say. What our heart most loves and trusts, our thoughts find reasonable. What our heart loves and trusts, our thoughts find reasonable. Our emotions find desirable, and our will finds possible. In, in Keller's words, our heart, our will finds doable. So what do you love most? What have you set your heart on? What have you put your heart on? When God's in our heart, we think right, live right, do right. And if we, in our stubbornness and cussedness and selfishness, turn away from the Lord in those times, and we do, we do. But we're aware. We're aware. And when we fall on our face, or we gum it up, or we turn something simple into drama and danger. When we mess it up, we turn back to the Lord because we've set our heart on Him. That's important. In fact, repentance is a part of guarding the heart. Makes sense, doesn't it? You know, monitoring, editing, that's what repentance is. It's correcting our decisions, our thinking, our way of looking at things, our life. We turn back to the things that are sure and certain. Luke chapter 6 verse 45 says the good well, let me rephrase that. The Lord says in Luke 6.45, the good person out of the heart's good treasure brings good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You see, God made us so that we can only think of one thing at a time. We can't think of two things at the same time or at one time. So if we want to avoid wrong thinking, then we have to do some right thinking. And that's very, very important. What do you set your mind on all the time? What are you thinking about all the time? What kind of schemes and strategies fill your mind? Are they of the Lord? Are they healthy? Are they good? Are they right? If you're doing right thinking, any wrong thinking will have a tough time Finding a way in. 
and you'll be more resistant to those kinds of foolish choices. Uh, what we feel, if you've never realized this, this is, this is worth a lot of money. What you think affects what you feel. Remember that the next time you feel so bad about something, so crushed by something. You need to let in a little right thinking. Right thinking in that case often has, if not always, has to do with letting the Lord into your thoughts. The difference he'll make in the way you see things. The way you feel about things. Be very careful about what you think. Our thoughts run our lives. Our thoughts run our lives. Let me just add one thing. This is kind of, I, I really hesitated to put this in my notes, but it was a day before yesterday. I went into the bathroom and uh, was washing my hands. You know, last week I talked about how we take a lot of things for granted. And I remember mentioning just in passing how we leave the water running while we're scrubbing our hands. And I was actually doing that. And I looked at the water running down the drain. And so I took my elbow and turned the water off. And then I thought, what difference does that make? What difference does that make? Not very much. Probably immeasurable. That is, you can't even measure the difference. You can see how good I'm washing my hands. If nobody else turns off the water, it's not going to make any difference at all. So why do it? I thought to myself, and the answer immediately came to mind. Because it makes a difference in me. That's how significant our thoughts are. I got tremendous pastoral training when I was an intern in a church so many years ago. I, I'm not, I kid you not, hands down, probably the best. But there were some things I needed to unlearn. You know, at the time, we had a business model kind of in our society that was just ruling things. So we learned all about time management. But there's no room for interruptions in time management. There's no, there's no time for your interruption in time management. It may protect my time, but what if that's not what the Lord wants of me? What if he wants me to be available in an interruption? Because an interruption is a part of what he has planned of something that he's in the middle of. We've got to take it 
another level. We've got to be aware and monitor our thoughts and evaluate them against the gospel. So we need to be filling our thoughts with the words of wisdom from our Lord, from Jesus himself. The ways of wisdom which we find in the ways he treated people, cared for people. And the ways that those who followed him, that stuck by him, even through his death and his unexpected resurrection, who have written the New Testament and pass on the wisdom of this relationship that we have when we put our heart into the hands of God, when we set our heart on him, we got to fill our hearts with those things. That's how we guard our heart. That's what establishes that standard for monitoring and editing our thoughts. What about the streams of life? Our motives, our words, our actions. If we guard our heart, it will fruitfully and wisely govern and guide and guard our speech, our sight, and our steps. And that constitutes the springs of our lives. That's what the Proverbs is teaching us in verse 24, 25, 26, and 27. You can read it this week. Our speech, our sight, our steps. Because our motives, our words, and our actions determine what we see, how we step, and how we speak. What our heart most loves and trusts, our thoughts find reasonable, our emotions find desirable, and our will finds possible. What do you love most? What is your identity? Identity is about what you believe. What do you believe when it comes to how you see yourself? Do you realize that when you enter faith in Jesus Christ, the church, the body of believers, we have two ordinances that establish, that get our identity going in the right direction because our identity has everything to do with what we believe and, more importantly, what we love. And those two ordinances, the very first one is baptism, where we completely identify with Jesus in his death and being raised with him to newness of life in his resurrection. And the second is this bread and this cup, the Lord's Supper. He told his first disciples, and he reminds us this morning, 
This bread represents his body. His life, in other words. The identification with him in his baptism is established in the life that he gave, which is represented by this bread. We identify with that. And this cup, this cup is the new covenant. Notice these words, in his blood. Blood often sealed covenants in antiquity. Sometimes there was a sacrifice to produce that blood. Jesus says, I'm that sacrifice. My blood is what seals this covenant. This we are to do in remembrance of him, Jesus said to his disciples. In other words, we do this on a regular basis. Do you know why we do this on a regular basis? Because our hearts need to be rebooted. Our hearts need tune-ups. Our hearts need to be restored to safekeeping in the hands of the Lord. That's an act of faith. When you and I, reminded of what he has done for us, turn once again. Call it repentance. Call it a change of mind. Call it a course correction. Call it whatever you want. It's getting our heads on straight, our thoughts right. And then our feelings and our choices and decisions all aligned in living with him in faith, for him in faith, identified with him in faith. That's what we do this morning. That's what this bread and this cup represent. It's good that we have this morning together. It's good that you have this time to hold this bread in your hand and this cup and remember what it, what it stands for and what you stand for because of what it stands for. And what you put in your mouth. And what you take into your life. As you take this bread in this cup. It's a trembling thing. We all need it. And we all thank him for it. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, as we hold this bread and this cup in our hands, we are reminded powerfully by the work of your Spirit in our hearts, the work of your Son represented, present in this bread and this cup the commitment of our hearts to live for you, to serve you, expressed in our baptisms, and now once again renewed as we take this bread and this cup. 
We thank you for your son. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for new life. We thank you in the matchless name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. On the night he was betrayed, he took bread. He blessed it. He broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Take and eat. In the same way after supper, the cup also, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. All of you drink it. As often as you eat and eat this bread and drink this cup, you do proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. God bless you.